Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. And now we'll be reading out of Ecclesiastics, chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, we place it on the screen for you. Again, I saw a vanity under the sun. The case of solitary individuals without sons or brothers, yet there is no end to all their toil, and their eyes are never satisfied with riches. For who am I toiling, they ask, and depriving myself of pleasures? This also is vanity and unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other, but woe to one who is alone and fall and does not have to have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one, a threefold cord, is not quickly broken. Amen. Good morning, friends. Uh, I am not Brittany. My name is Christian Kuhn. I am the lead pastor of Urban Village, and I'm usually at the South Loop site. But I'm here today. It's been quite some time since I've been up to Andersonville, but I'm thrilled to be here as part of this community. Uh, and uh, I'm glad that you came out uh, and are joining all of us here today. Um, <clears throat> every summer, we go. Up, my family goes up to Pentwater, Michigan, uh, and that's on the western. I know a lot of people from Michigan who live in Chicago, uh, but it's on the western uh, border of Michigan. And every year we go up there. Uh, my wife and uncle have a really lovely summer home on the lake, and uh, we go down to the beach and to the lake. Uh, and whenever I go down there for the first time, uh, I always, I, I'm not one of those, some people can just jump right in. Uh, I'm not one of those people. <clears throat> I usually have to kind of ease my way in, if I ease my way in at all, because I usually go into my ankles or so. And my first reaction is normally, this is really cold, uh, and I'm not sure how much further that I want to go. So I'll go in, maybe go up to my knees, and then come back out, uh, and then sit on the beach for a while. Then maybe go back in if my kids... Uh, plead and beg me to come out with them. So this year we did something different. So if we could show the picture <clears throat> on the screen. This is uh, my son standing there. He is uh, 11, a sixth grader. This is my wife. And that's our dog, Winnie. Uh, Winnie, uh, that was, this was her first time to come to this house and go on to the beach. And so we didn't know exactly how she would react. And so at first she really loved running up and down the beach. Uh, she loves to run, and so running up and down the beach. And then she would do kind of what I do when it comes to going into the water. She would go in just a little bit and splash around, 
but she wouldn't go into where it was very deep at all. There was another dog. <clears throat> My brother-in-law and sister-in-law brought their dog, and that dog would go, I mean, go into the water, go and fetch tennis balls, swim around, all those things, but not Winnie. Winnie would just stay kind of in the very shallow end with me. Until one day, my wife, uh, who I think if, if Winnie had to choose a favorite in our family, I think uh, my wife would win in kind of a landslide. And uh, she went out on a kayak one day. So she went out deeper into the water. And this brought lots of consternation to our dog because, again, so the dog is ready and just wants to be in the shallow, and yet here is this woman that our dog loves and feels like she needs to protect going out into the kayak. So you can kind of see what's happening in my dog's head. Like, what do I do? Do I stay here or do I go out? Because clearly she needs to be saved. Because this kayak that she is, I don't know if this is, we can trust this kayak. So the dog then love wins out, and the dog decides to go out deeper and start swimming out to my wife in the kayak and kind of tries to get into the boat, but that didn't work very well. So we had to turn around and bring the dog back. I thought about that uh, this week as I thought about this sermon today. And as I thought about this sermon series that we are reflecting on, it's called Adulting Faith. Uh, So what does that mean? What does it mean to have a mature faith? I know many of you uh, may be at a point where you are, didn't have much of a faith background at all growing up, or maybe you had a church background that you would rather leave behind, but you are exploring again. And so you are, in a sense, just dipping your toes into the church waters, and you're ready to go uh, up to your ankles. And if that's the case, if you're new to this whole thing, I, I totally get that. I always admire people who visit a church, especially if they visit by themselves, as that's you here today. I have the utmost admiration for you because you come in to a strange group of people doing strange things, singing and sitting and standing and tearing things off and all of these kinds of things. So I'm glad you're here and you have my admiration for coming here today. But you may be at the place where I'm maybe, maybe dipping my toes, but that's far enough. And I get that and I'm, and I'm glad that you're starting out. At some point, though, some people think, well, what does it mean to go out a little bit further? What does it mean to have a mature faith? What does it mean to have adult faith? And so that's what we're reflecting on over these next few weeks. And especially we talk about what does it mean to have commitment? What does it mean to commit to something? What does it mean to commit to a faith? Especially, we are in a society today where being committed to something is really countercultural. Because so many things in our society beg and plead us to flit around to all kinds of different things. So if you're just sitting there bored, the internet has come calling to you saying, come check me out and just go from site to site, go from app to app, all of these different things and just come and you'll never be bored again. I have so many things here to entertain you. Or if you are feeling stale with your life, the market is there ready for you to say, come, buy something and I will make you feel good about yourself for just a short amount of time and then come, I have something else for you to buy. And so all of these things too. And I've been married for 22 years, so my knowledge of Tinder is really limited. But I can imagine that if you're on Tinder and you're in a relationship and it's been going great and then you get into that kind of plateau point and it's not quite so exciting anymore, I would imagine it'd be so tempting to go to Tinder and just kind of see who else is out there. So being committed is not very sexy. And being committed to church, to God, to a faith is even less sexy. So what do we do? What does that mean? How do we go about this? 
especially today, the focus is on how do we commit to a community? How do we commit to a group of people as you look to deepen your own faith life? Now, this is probably not surprising to you, as I'm a believer in faith communities. Seven years ago, another guy and I started Urban Village, and so we had a deep belief in community and the need to be with one another on our faith journeys. If you ever go onto our website and there's the What We Believe page, and one of the bullet points in there says that we believe that we need each other. Whether single, married or partnered, divorced or widowed, it's a lot easier to follow God with friends than it is by ourselves. So we give a big thumbs up to this passage from Ecclesiastes today and what Ecclesiastes has to say to us. Now, a couple things about Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is really a Greek translation of a Hebrew word that's koheleth, which means teacher. Koheleth, that's the Greek, trans, uh, Greek translation is Ecclesiastes of this. Now, if you are somebody who, when you sit down to read something, if you like it to be in uh, one format or if you'd like it to flow uh, and have it all kind of be of one uh, same genre, Ecclesiastes is not for you. Uh, Ecclesiastes is, one scholar says, a bit of a mess stylistically. It jumps around all over the place. There's a little bit of poetry here. There's some proverbs there. It's kind of speaking in uh, an autobiography in another place. So it's kind of a mess, but maybe it's okay if you like that kind of thing too. If you like a mess, then this book is for you. So another thing, too, there is a general theme or arc to Ecclesiastes, and that is this. The author is wanting to first talk about the limits of what it means to be human, the limits and contradictions of life. And there's a focus on the limits and contradictions of life, focusing on that in order to teach wisdom. So that's what the author of his Ecclesiastes is trying to get at. Talk about the limits of life, contradictions of life, in order then to teach about wisdom. And we see that in our text today. At first, it starts off by saying, here's this person who is striving as an individual for the riches of the world, and this person is realizing that this is not as fulfilling maybe as I thought it would be. And so then a transition into the beauty of being with somebody else. So again, let me read verses 9 through 12 for you. Two, then, are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to the one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. And then the author goes one step further. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Three is even better. Than two. So here is a statement about the need, the beauty, the advantages of being in community. Now, I would imagine that probably most of you today are on board with this. This is not a groundbreaking sermon. You probably know this as well. And I would imagine, too, that I would say most people, when they think about exploring faith or going deeper in their faith, and if they think about doing that with other people, their first reaction is, and again, this is not a bad thing at all, their first reaction is, what am I going to get out of this? If I become part of this group, if I go to a small group, if I go and serve with others, 
what am I going to get out of this? Because often what happens when people tell me this, you know, I wasn't sure I wanted to get out of bed on Sunday morning, but I did, and I feel so much better. I wasn't sure I wanted to go to group that night, but I went, and the sharing that took place was amazing. I'm so glad I went. So we go thinking, how is this going to help me in my faith journey? And again, that's a perfectly valid and good reason to do so. But then when we think about sticking with that community and committing to that community, we then ask the next question about not only what does this community have to do for me, but then we ask ourselves, how can I be there for others in the community? Now, we might think to ourselves, well, I don't know if I have a whole lot to offer this community. But I would say, in fact, you do. By showing up in community and by committing, you are coming because someone else may need you on that day, whenever you show up. And again, you might think, I don't know if I have anything to offer. I would say to you again, yes, you do. So again, I spend most of my Sundays at our South Loop site, and we recently switched buildings. And so in January there, we started worshiping at our new location. And there's a family who started coming on that very first Sunday in, in January. Byron and Karen were married, and they have a little son named Joe. And Byron came up to me after that first service and started talking to me about how he's been looking for a community like this, particularly uh, around its inclusivity. He's so grateful for this community, and he, he's been getting more and more involved. And he has been talking, too, about how he was looking forward to walking in the Pride Parade. So you know every Sunday, last Sunday in June, we walk in the Pride Parade as a church. We have, this year we had over 100 people turn out of all of our sites come and walk in the parade. And on that day, Byron and Karen and Joe, Byron is so excited about walking in the parade as a way for them to be in solidarity with his LGBTQ sisters and brothers. And so on that day, they came to church and others, and we were really excited. There was another person there in worship that day, too. Her name is Tara. Tara actually started attending our Hyde Park Woodlawn site and had a faith transformation. She got baptized at that site. She, students, she students soon started coming to the South Loop site because it was closer to where she lived and so had been coming to our site. These last 12 months have been uh, very emotional. A lot has been going on for Tara for lots of different reasons. Tara's been going through um, uh, gender transition uh, and so that's been a very emotional thing for her, to be sure, but also we are trying to support her in that process, too. She's, had, she's lost her job, and so that's been a hard thing for her. She's had to move quite a bit, and so that's been a lot for her to deal with. And so on some Sundays when she shows up, it's like she's there. I'm grateful that she is, but you can tell that she's been going through a lot. And on this particular Sunday, on Pride Sunday, she was there, and she came up to me during communion when I offered to pray for people during communion. She came up to me and she said, my apartment building caught on fire last night. And my first reaction is, why are you here <laughs> in worship with us today? But she was. And I was speechless. I was speechless. I didn't know really quite how to respond. I kind of muttered, you know, we will do whatever we can for you, Tara. And, but there was a part of me I didn't know quite what to do. And so then after worship, I, I, I went with the group getting on the red line to come north for the pride parade. And I noticed that Karen was pushing Joe. And I said, where's Byron? 
And then she said, well, he's walking that way. And I looked over in the distance, and Byron was walking with Tara. Byron, who was so looking forward to walking in Pride Parade, had heard Tara, what happened to her, and so he offered to give her a ride, to give her a ride so he could go with her to make sure that everything was okay. Byron just showed up that day, but he had a sense of what it means to commit to community, of just being there, and he knew, I have a car. I can give somebody a ride. I can give Tara a ride just so that she knows she's not alone and it's going to be okay. I thought I was going to do something else that I was really looking forward to, but that's being community is sometimes sacrificing because you are there for somebody else. Byron didn't know that when he walked into worship that day, but he has that sense of what it means to commit to community, and so he went to go and be with her, and I'm so grateful that he did. This past week, um, I got an email from our director of discipleship, Aaron James Brown. Many of you know we've been reading Rescuing Jesus together as part of our One Book, One Church initiative. And somebody that you may know is a leader at the Andersonville site, Mary Arntz, uh, has been reading this with part of her small group. And Mary wrote an email to Aaron, and Aaron shared it with all of us. And this is what Mary said about some of the transformation that she's been happening as reading this book together with a group. And she said a major shift that she has found herself in is moving from what she senses sometimes we think of in the church as a personal salvation, personal wholeness in Christ, to corporate salvation. She said that she needs this as an antidote to an individualistic culture where she finds herself. And this is the quote that you see. Group-oriented salvation means that I am interdependent. My well-being is bound up in the well-being of my neighbors. My being is bound up in my neighbor's being. Salvation is integration. It is communion. You know, so often in the church, we talk about what is your personal relationship like with Jesus? And that's a fine thing to ask. But we make it so individualistic that we fail also to let people know that it is about your relationship, but it is also about the person who's next to your relationship, and how does that work together? It is about as you begin to go out into the water, into your ankles, and you're nervous and anxious about whether you want to go any deeper, and then you turn around and you see, hey, there's somebody else who's ankle deep with me. And not only are they there for me, but we ask ourselves the question, how can I be there for them? So that they may say, I'm going back to the beach. I'm not ready for this yet. And we may say, I will go with you. Or if somebody else says, I'm ready to go a little bit deeper, and we can say, I'm so glad that they're there with me. But then we ask ourselves the question, how can I be there for them too? That's what committing to community is all about. And it's not always great, because there are days when some people will piss you off. There will be days that you get into arguments. There will be days that you thought someone is going to show up for you and they bail. It's hard sometimes to commit to community. But that's what we're called to do, to be there for one another in Christ. I want to show you a movie clip that I think really encapsulates all of this. It's one of my favorite movie clips of all time, uh, and uh, I'm pretty sure you haven't seen it, though. My son told me last night, we watched the movie again, and my son told me, Dad, you've shown this before, but I think probably I've never shown it here, so I think I'm safe. 
Uh, this is from the movie uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So this is the first one for those of you who are fans of either uh, the book uh, or the movies. Um, and so for those who don't know uh, what this is all about, here's a very, like a two-sentence synopsis. So for those Tolkien fans and movie fans, forgive me for doing this so shortly. But really, there's a ring, right? There's a ring, has a lot of power, has kind of an evil power. It comes into the ownership of this hobbit named Frodo. Frodo decides, along with the council of others, he needs to get rid of this ring. Others come alongside him. This is the fellowship of the ring. And they say, we will help you to try to get rid of this ring in Mordor. So one of the people as part of this fellowship is one of his best friends, another hobbit named Sam. So they get to this point where, they, where uh, Frodo realizes, I need to go off on my own. I don't want to put my friends in danger. He just has a sense that I have to go off on my own. So this is near the end of the movie where he's going to go off on his own. And no one else really knows he's going to do this. Sam doesn't know that he's going to do this. But he's making this decision to go off on his own. And you will also see that Gandalf the wizard is kind of the voice in his head speaking to him in the midst of all. So I hope I think it'll make sense. There's lots of reasons I love that clip. I, one of the reasons I love it is because of Sam. You know, in the church we do it, in businesses we do it, in schools, in nonprofits, whatever it is, we try to find people who just exude charisma and leadership. We think, yes, this is the person that we want to lead us. They may just look the part or they have the right personality, all these things. And Sam probably wouldn't fit any of those descriptions, right? But I, I love this because Sam is faithful. Because Sam says, I made a promise. I made a promise to not leave you, no matter what. And that kind of commitment, that kind of faithfulness, is so overlooked in our society today. And so Sam, I don't know if he thought what he could offer at all, but what he could offer was, I will be with you. And later on in the movie, Frodo looks to Sam and says, I'm so glad that you are with me. Sam could show up because he made a promise. We do the same when we commit to community, which will not always be perfect. And you might think to yourself, I don't know what I have to offer, but I think each and every one of us does have something to offer, and we can give our faithfulness, saying we will be there in moments when someone else maybe feel like they're drowning and give them a hand because there are moments when we feel like we're drowning, right? And we are grateful that someone is there to lend us a hand too. So no matter where you are, friends, in your faith life, if you're just beginning to dip your toes in or if you're ready to run in like Sam and not really knowing whether you can swim or not, but you're ready to run in, we need each other. Commit to that and commit to others knowing and trusting that they will be there for you and knowing and trusting that you will be there for them because we know and trust that God is with us too, with us, within us, and for us, and waiting for us all the way. We can trust in that, and then we can trust in each other by making those kinds of commitments. Let's pray. Holy, loving, and gracious God, thank you for others. Thank you that we can sit with one another, maybe a stranger we've never met before. It can be somebody that we've done faith with. But thank you 
for the life of faith in community. And we pray that you give us the courage to commit to that community. It is a scary thing. It can be a disappointing thing. But we pray that you give us the willingness, the energy to make those commitments and trust that you are with us as we do so. In all of this, we pray this in the name of Jesus, who hurriedly surrounded himself with others on his own journey as well. Amen.